Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Oh, good morning, everyone. I'll take that. Why not? <laughs> oh, it's good to be with you today, as it always is. Although I know we're studying a rather obscure text this morning um, in the Good Samaritan. Has, has anybody heard this one before? Right? No, no. I heard a no. Bunch of liars. <laughs> um, no, of course, we've heard this a ton of time um, as we go through, whether we heard it in Sunday school or taught it in Sunday school. Many of us very well might have the, the gist of the story memorized. And even people who you know, aren't familiar with the Christian faith, a lot of them love this story um, and get much out of it. And although I've heard it, it seems like a million times having grown up in the church, um, I find it like most of scripture, whenever I go back to it, there's something I missed before or something I stopped doing and need to start again or something like that. In other words, God still speaks through his word. And so I'd like us to go back to a story we've heard a thousand times or a million times and see what God has to say to us this morning. The story starts, as any good story should, with a lawyer. <laughs> an expert in Jewish law who asks, quite honestly, an excellent question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What better question is there than that? Right? That's what we need to know. How do we get to heaven? How do we get right with God? How do we have eternal life? Well, Jesus, being the clever teacher he is, and as he frequently does, answers the question with a question. How do you read the law, he says. And the lawyer says, well, love God and love neighbor. And Jesus says, right, bingo, A plus on the exam. You hit it on the head. Keep those commandments and you will live. Easy peasy. Keep God's commandments and we'll be just fine. But then the lawyer asks, probably not the most important question, but I think my favorite question in all of scripture, my favorite one, because he's getting kind of at the heart of the matter. He says, oh, okay, if I need to love God and love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? Isn't that a great question, right? And he's trying to figure this out, right? Because it's clever and he's trying to game the system here, right? Because if I can say, you all here in these pews are my neighbor, but you all in those pews are not, I don't need to love you people because you're not my neighbor, just you guys. And since there's few of you on this side, win-win, right? <laughs> right? This is what he's doing. He's not trying to find out who is his neighbor, but who is not his neighbor. Once he can define who is and who isn't, he can realize I'm not obligated to love everyone. I'll just do what I need to do. He's trying to justify his bad behavior and find a loophole in the system something I'm sure none of us would ever possibly consider, right? Never would happen. At our church back in North Carolina, Kimberly and I knew a family that had four children. They were aged, I think, seven, five, three, and one at this time. I can't imagine how awful that would possibly be. Uh, it just seems ridiculous, right? But anyways, they had this three-year-old boy at the time who was just a mess. And I'm pretty sure that's the job of three-year-old boys is to just be a mess. So they're getting ready for this funeral, and his mother has put little Tommy here um, in his Sunday best for the funeral. But outside it had just rained, and the yard was full of puddles designed for three-year-old boys to jump in. So she gets down and is like, look, sir, you keep that suit clean. If I come back out here after getting your sister dressed, 
and that suit is a mess, you are in deep trouble. So she goes and gets the one-year-old little girl dressed and comes back and finds the suit on the couch and a <laughs> naked Tommy jumping into all the puddles. <laughs> Perfectly keeping the letter of the law, perhaps missing the spirit of it. He found a loophole in the system and could justify his bad behavior. And boy, doesn't that sum up so much of our life. This lawyer is trying to do the same thing. Keep the rules exactly. Do just what he needs to do to be good, but not enough to inconvenience his life. Jesus, however, of course, knows what this man is up to and tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan as an answer to the question, who is my neighbor? And at first, it doesn't really answer the question, but it answers the right question, as I'll show you later on. So he tells this story, and I think, again, we all know it. A man is traveling down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about 17 miles, it's downhill, and it was dangerous. He comes across robbers, and they beat him, strip him, and leave him for dead, taking all of his possessions, and he's just wallowing in pain on the side of the road. Then a priest and a Levite, two well-respected and highly admired religious leaders, as all good priests and Levites ought to be, <laughs> sees this wounded man, lying there dying, and go to the opposite side of the road and pass him by. I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't tell us why they pass by. It's quite possible that being these religious leaders, for them to stoop down and touch either a corpse if they think he's dead, or blood, they'd become ritually unclean and couldn't worship in the temple. That's certainly possible. They might think it's a trap. As they go to help this man, others will come and bombard them and take their money. It could be they were obligated to get somewhere and didn't have time to stop, or perhaps they'd already given money and been generous to the poor elsewhere, and somebody else can handle this problem. But whatever the reason was that they passed by, they were expected by all people to stop and obligated by the Mosaic law to stop, but they don't. However, a Samaritan does. A dirty, rotten, God-forsaken Samaritan is the hero of this story. The Jews and Samaritans were distantly related and they both held animosity towards each other and had for centuries. And so it's kind of like to me if Jesus had shown up in the US in the 1950s, told this story, and the hero was the good communist. Or today, if he was to show up at the Democratic National Convention and the hero is a Republican. Or at the Republican National Convention and the hero is a Democrat. Can you imagine the scandal from any of this? It would be shocking, it'd be horrible, it would be offensive. And that's the point. He's stepping on toes here because the, the Samaritan is the hero because he reaches out and he helps. In fact, he goes above and beyond what anybody would have expected of him or what social customs would have told him he was obligated to do. He uses the resources he has on hand. He uses his own oil and wine to clean the wound. He uses his own cloth to bandage the wound. He places the man on his own animal, uses his own money to pay for the inn, and sacrifices time, energy, and more money to help over the long term. He even risks his own life to take this man to an inn. I mean, think about it. He's still got to travel this dangerous road. Perhaps he'll meet other robbers. Or if he turns around and goes back towards Jerusalem, people might think he's the one who robbed the man, and they'd want to seek revenge on him. 
It is this Samaritan, not the respectable priest and Levite, who extends love, compassion, and mercy to this stranger, expecting nothing in return. Love, compassion, and mercy, three key words that are used throughout the story. And so Jesus ends this story with, and again answers the question, who is my neighbor? And his answer is, be the good Samaritan. The lawyer had asked the entirely the wrong question. Instead of asking who, he should have asked how. How can I be a neighbor? How can I be a neighbor? Jesus is basically telling this lawyer, everyone is your neighbor, even the people you really wish weren't. You can't put people into different boxes and say, these are my neighbors and these aren't. It's not about who's your neighbor, it's about how you can be a neighbor to them. Three years ago, or three summers ago, which seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Um, I was with Gary and Shireen and some other folks leading a mission trip to Pittsburgh with the Pittsburgh Project. And it's where we get all these youth together, they've got this center there that reaches out to poor people in the area and helps them with various construction projects and yard work and things like that um, out there. It's a great trip. Spending a week in a small room with 14 sweaty boys is not great, but the rest of it's fine. <laughs> right? And so all these youth that go, they pull weeds, mow grass, pour concrete, lay floors, repair walls, and do all sorts of different things for folks. And on the last night, they invite the community to come in, uh, the people who had been served, to worship together, to share a meal, and to share testimony about what they saw God do that week. And this one woman stands up after a lot of people have shared, and she just starts singing, won't you be my neighbor? And she says, these kids who came to my house, they were my neighbors this week. They came and they served and they loved, they had compassion, they had mercy, they were my neighbors. They reached out in tangible, concrete ways to help and serve me. That's what this gospel is calling us to do. That's what the parable of the Good Samaritan says. Jesus asks us this question, or asks us to ask the question, how can I, in tangible, concrete ways, be a neighbor? How can I show love and compassion and mercy to all the people around me, even when they bother me, even when it's inconvenient, even when I disagree with their views or choices, even if they don't deserve it, or even if, let's quite frankly admit, they're unlovable. That's the real question. How can I be a neighbor? Because the gospel calls us to reach out to all people in love, especially to the poor, the vulnerable, the marginalized, and the unwanted. We are called to work for their benefit, to make their lives better, to provide for their needs, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, financial, or whatever, we're called to reach out in love in tangible, concrete ways. And to do it when it hurts, when it's inconvenient, or like with the Samaritan, when it's dangerous. In other words, Jesus is calling us to be the good Samaritan. Easy peasy. <laughs> right? To do this, we absolutely need God's help. We cannot do this on our own. By ourselves, we tend to be greedy and self-centered people, don't we? In fact, one commentator I read as I was preparing this sermon said, selfishness is the leading characteristic of mankind. Put that on a bumper sticker. 
like drive around with that one. It says, unselfish, disinterested, pure brotherly love is as scarce as diamonds and rubies. What a shame that is. What a shame that is. It's easy to agree with this statement, of course. Watch the news. We see this all the time in the ways we see violence and hatred and prejudice and all sorts of things because we're so focused on me and not on others. So how do we get from this selfish place to where God wants us to be? That'll do. <laughs> we need God to come and transform us from the inside out. That's how we get there. Theologian uh, Douglas John Hall says, to move an individual from the condition of self of natural self-preoccupation to one of profound concern for others. The whole gospel with the cross at its center is required. The whole gospel with the cross at its center is required. I could not agree more with that statement. We cannot possibly achieve levels of love, compassion, and mercy, the things Jesus calls us to, without his transformative help to take our eyes off ourselves and focus them on him and the people around us, people who are made in God's image and redeemed by his blood. We need the Holy Spirit to root himself deep within us so that the fruit of the Spirit would grow, would flourish, and would blossom to the benefit of other people and to the glory of God. And so if we're to be the Good Samaritan, as Christ calls us to be, we have to be filled with the Spirit so that we can walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit. We need the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ to be the Good Samaritan because it's Jesus himself who is ultimately the Good Samaritan. If you just pick up the Bible and read through the Gospels, you'll see it all over the place. Jesus reaches out in compassion to a widow who had just lost her son. And unlike the priest and the Levites in our story, he touches the dead body and raises him back to life. He heals a man from a withered hand on the Sabbath, knowing the pushback and animosity he would face as a result. He welcomes a sinful woman, quite possibly a prostitute, welcomes her to approach him, to anoint him with her hair, to wash his feet, and then he forgave her sins. He called tax collectors, fishermen, and stubborn-headed men to be his closest disciples, a group of knuckleheads. And he didn't reject them when they messed up again and again and again and again. He even spent time with this lawyer, this lawyer that he knew had ulterior motives, and he shows the lawyer the path of eternal life. Our Lord Jesus goes above and beyond any social norms or expectations, and he showed everyone love, compassion, and mercy in tangible, concrete ways. And he has quite literally done the same for us and still does today. Jesus is our ultimate Good Samaritan too, because we are the poor, beaten, and robbed man of the story. Sin has stripped us, beaten us, robbed us, and left us for dead for all eternity. But Jesus did not pass us by. He looked down from his glorious throne in heaven and he saw our horrible plight and he came down to earth. He came down to us and he bound up our wounds and healed our infirmities. 
He took out two coins and paid the price for our sin, giving up his own body and blood on that cross. He then washed us and made us clean, anointing us and sealing us with his own Holy Spirit, and every Sunday feeds us with bread and wine, his own body and blood here at his altar. And just like the Good Samaritan, he promises to return and finish what he began and then to take us home, right where we belong. Even when we were enemies with God, which is what St. Paul says we were in the book of Romans, Jesus came to be our neighbor and to treat us with love, compassion, and mercy. In his life, death, resurrection, and now even in his ascension, Jesus was and still is the Good Samaritan to everyone, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, rich or poor, white or black, sick or healthy, respected or rejected, liberals or conservatives, adults or children, men or women, he excludes no one. Then he gives us his Holy Spirit and says, go and do likewise. So relying on the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the ultimate Good Samaritan, let us now go out into the world following in our Lord and Savior's footsteps. Rather than asking the wrong question, let us ask how. How can I go above and beyond? How can I go above and beyond to be good Samaritans to the people around me? And through this question and through sending us out, may God truly transform us from the inside out into loving, compassionate, and merciful neighbors just as Jesus was and is a loving, compassionate, and merciful neighbor to us. Amen. 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 Amen.